this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, guys. I'm so grateful for uh, Steve and Corby and filling in for Michael today. It's also great to have another member of our worship team back today, and that's Merle Kay on the piano. Appreciate her so much. Good to see her back and playing with such joy. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. If you're new today, we are walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 977. Page 977. But we're at the end of chapter 3 in Ephesians, really which brings us to the end of the first section of Ephesians. Ephesians sort of divides out. You could do it a couple of ways. One way is to say that um, it's six chapters in the book, so chapters 1 through 3 are done, okay, what God has done for us, and then chapters 4 through 6 are do, how we live in light of what God has done. Another way that you could think about it, the structure of the book would be that chapters 1 through 3 are about our wealth in Christ, the spiritual riches that we have in Christ, and we're going to see that really reaches a crescendo in this text today. And then from chapter 4 and verse 1 through chapter 6 and verse 9, that's our walk, our walk, the practical issues of Christian living. And then from 6.10 through the end of the book is our warfare, the spiritual warfare that we're involved in as believers. So this morning, we finish talking about our wealth, the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ, and we just see that come to a real climax here in this prayer that Paul gives to the, for the church, which is really it's about praying for godly power and love. So let's look at it. Uh, chapter 3 and verses 14 through 21, if you'll follow along. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Father, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Lord, we we yearn for our prayer lives to be richer. And one of the ways that that can happen is as we learn to pray Scripture and as we study the prayers of Scripture. Lord, we we yearn for more spiritual maturity. We, We yearn for more holiness, not just as ends in themselves, but for your glory, 
that as you transform and equip us, that you would better be able to work through us to affect the lives of others. And so, Father, it's always so vital, such a crucial time when we open your word and study it together. And we pray that you would just give us grace now to uh, to focus, to, to listen to you. Would you speak to us in the power of your spirit? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week marks the 100th anniversary of the beginning of World War One. So one century ago, as European leaders jockeyed for power, the guns of August would sound and an entire generation of young people in Europe would be sent into a cauldron of slaughter. It was a colossal failure of leadership, an utter catastrophe, a betrayal of so many young lives, and really one of the greatest examples in history of the deadly effects of the love of power. The love of power leads to death, but the power of love seen in Jesus Christ leads to life. And this prayer is about Christ's power and love. It's about our need for His power and love and our prayer for His power and love. So let's look at it together. What is Paul asking for and what should we ask for as we pray for ourselves and for other believers, our, our church. First of all, first request that we see here is this, that God would strengthen us with his power. So let's look at verse 16. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now that term Inner being is a term that he also uses in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our inner being is being renewed day by day. So what Paul is saying here is that even as our physical bodies may grow weaker, that our inner being can grow stronger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the context of Ephesians, Paul, of course, is writing from prison where he's being persecuted for the gospel. And what he's saying is that no matter what people may do to your body, because many of the people that he's writing to in, in Ephesians and in Second Corinthians were being persecuted for their faith, as so many believers are today across the world, he's saying that no matter what they do to your body, that there's a part of you that they cannot touch. Your inner being can grow stronger in the power of Christ. Now, as 21st century Americans our physical bodies are not under constant threat because of persecution for the sake of the gospel. 
but we do age. We do get older, we can get sick, we can be injured, and the physical body can grow weaker. But he says that even as that happens, your inner being can grow stronger. It can be constantly being renewed in the power of Christ. Listen, I've known older people who uh, it, it seems like the, the weaker that their physical bodies uh, become, these folks just seem to grow more Christ-like over time. They're more prayerful, more gentle, more joyful and filled with tenderness and love all the time. It's, it's, it's like they've got one foot on earth and, and one foot in heaven. That's holiness. And that's what we should all yearn for. And that's, that's what we should pray for. I mean, we live in a culture that is so obsessed with a physical health. And, it, and, it's, and it's good to try to be as healthy as we can. First Corinthians 6 says our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so obviously you know, it's a biblical thing to want to uh, take as good a care of our bodies as we can. But listen... Do you yearn for your, the health of your soul and for holiness to the degree that you yearn and pray for your physical health? Which is more important, our, our souls, the health of our souls is, is infinitely more important. We should yearn and pray for holiness which is what he's, he's talking about here. Um, you know, my son and I love to watch sports together, and we, we watch football, baseball, basketball, soccer, golf, and we enjoy watching and we enjoy talking about the, the games and the, the players and so forth. But there's one sport that I can't talk with Caleb about because I don't follow it, and that's hockey. Okay, and he knows all about hockey, and he watches it, and he knows what's happening. But I just—that's just one sport that I can't share with him. I'm not against hockey or anything. It's just that time is limited, and I've just chosen not to follow hockey. Hockey is an option, and I've just chosen not to take that option. Well, listen, a lot of Christians think about holiness the way that I think about hockey. They think that holiness is just sort of an optional add-on to the Christian life. You know, that, uh, well, some Christians are holy and, you know, some just choose not to pursue that. And, but no. No, the Bible says that, that holiness for the believer is not an optional add-on. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews twelve fourteen that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now listen, as we saw in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. However, as we also saw, true saving faith will result in a changed life. True saving faith produces works. It produces holiness. When we're saved, we are given the Holy Spirit. Who makes us holy? Now listen, none of us is as holy as we would like to be. But if, if we're genuinely saved, we yearn for holiness. We love God. 
and we desire to obey Him more, and we desire for our lives to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And if that yearning is not there, there's reason to ask whether the Holy Spirit is there and whether we've genuinely placed our faith in in Christ. Now, holiness, though, is not something that we can get in our own strength. Now, yes, we strive. We strive to obey God. We are to pursue holiness. We are to go hard after God. But all the while knowing that we must have the power of the Holy Spirit to produce genuine holiness in our lives, which is exactly why Paul is, is praying for this. The prayer is that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Now, could we yearn for spiritual power for the wrong reasons? Yes. In fact, in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, uh, we, we see an example of this. There's a guy who was called Simon, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer, some translations put it. And Acts tells us about it. It says there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him. Because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. Now, this guy is not a Christian. He's a pagan. And the power that he was using was not the power of God. It was demonic power. And later on in chapter 8, it says that Simon saw the apostles uh, doing signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon said, give me some of that power. But he wanted that power so that he could just uh, manipulate and control other people. But as Christians, we desire the power of Christ, uh, not so that we can control others, but so that we ourselves would be more under the control of the Holy Spirit. We desire more of His power, not so that we can dominate others, but so that our lives would be more dominated by the Holy Spirit. And what does a life look like that is controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit? It looks like Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what life looks like when our lives are under the control of the Spirit of God. That is what we should pray for and, and desire. Now let's press deeper here into the, the text and, and see the, the reason why we're to pray for this. We see it in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now at first, that seems like a strange request, doesn't it? Because if we're Christians, isn't Christ already dwelling in our hearts through faith? Well, yes, he is. But the word that Paul uses here, the Greek word that's translated as dwell in verse 17, is very strong. And what he's saying is that as 
we learn to trust God more and more and obey him more and more, our hearts become a more suitable dwelling place for Christ. If you've ever moved, you can relate to this. Because when you move into a new place, um, you may have signed the papers, and it's all yours, but there's a lot of work to be done usually. Right? That old wallpaper that you hate, it's got to be stripped down. And that smelly carpet, it's got to come up and be replaced. And that awful color scheme needs a fresh coat of paint. When Christ moves into our hearts, our hearts are a mess. And just like some houses need an extreme home makeover, when Christ moves into our hearts, we need an extreme heart makeover. There's some things that need to be taken away. There's some things that need to be added. What does that extreme heart makeover look like? It looks like Colossians 3. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what the power of Christ can do in our hearts. And so that's the first request here, that that, that God would strengthen us with this power. Second, the second request in the prayer is that we would grasp the incredible dimensions of Christ's love. And we see that in the latter part of verse 17 through verse 19. Paul prays that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, doesn't every Christian comprehend something of the love of Christ? Of course. I mean, we have to comprehend something of his love in order to be saved. In order to become a Christian, we have to at least know, as Romans 5.8 says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we have to know that much to become a Christian, that God loved us so much that he gave his son who died on the cross for our sins. But the prayer is that we would know more of his love, that we would comprehend uh, more of his love uh, day by day. It's like that song by Hillsong, I'll Never Be the Same Again, uh, where the words go, there are higher heights, there are deeper seas. Whatever you want to need to do, Lord, do in me 
The greatest illustration I've ever heard of this is by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones actually, in this illustration, was referring to something that came from a Puritan preacher named Thomas Goodwin. But Dr. Goodwin talked about a, a father and his little boy walking down the road, and they're walking hand in hand, and the little boy knows that his daddy loves him, and he's happy in his love and secure in his love. But then, just moved by impulse, this father scoops up the little boy in his arms and just twirls him around and pulls him close and just hugs him and kisses him. He says, son, your daddy loves you so much. And he just puts him back down on the ground and takes his hand and they go on walking. Well, the child knew before that his father loved him. He already knew that. But experiences like that just deepen the assurance, deepen the joy and the love of the Father. And that, that's what Paul is praying for here. That we would have, yes, we already know that God loves us, but he's praying that we would have more of an experiential awareness of Christ's great love for us. Now, how do we get that? What are the means of grace that God uses to communicate and shower his love upon us? He uses the Bible, first of all. He uses scripture. Someone once said that the Bible is God's love letter to us. Well, listen, if, if you're in love with someone and you know they're in love with you, um, you read the letters. You don't leave the letters unopened in your mailbox or unopened in your inbox. You read them. You, you, you delight in them. You read them repeatedly. You pour over them, which is what we should do with God's love letter to us with the Bible. Another means of grace that God uses to communicate his love to us is prayer. When you love someone, you want to talk to them. You talk with them. That's what prayer is. It's talking with God. It's us talking to him. It's him talking to us. And he won't speak to us in a way that's contrary to Scripture, but that reaffirms the promises of his word. God communicates his love to us through other believers. As we do life with other Christians in the context of our, the church, uh, we do life together and we see God's love working through them. As someone shared with me just before our service today, a beautiful testimony of God loving her through her Sunday school class, through her small group of ladies as they just loved on her. And God had spoken to her through that. And he does. As we, as we see Christ's love working through other believers, and we see the way that they treat, treat other people and the, the way that they're, they're living and loving sacrificially, God just uses that to take us to a new level in our awareness of his love. And then God shows us his love oftentimes through life experience, and especially trials, as we experience God's faithfulness to us through trials. It just deepens our comprehension of his love for us. Now, Paul is uh, 
is praying this. He's praying that we would have more of a comprehension of the love of Christ for what? Well, look at that last phrase in verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that we would understand more of Christ's love so that we would grow to maturity, spiritual maturity. That's what the end of verse 19 is about. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may grow to spiritual maturity as you understand more and more of his love. D.A. Carson tells about a couple of close friends of his, a couple named Perry, uh, Perry and Sandy Downs. And Perry and Sandy took in many foster children through the years, usually when they were infants. But one time they took in 18-month-old twin boys. And the first night when they put them down, they just they didn't hear a peep for the longest time. And so they thought, well, let's just go check on these kids. So they went in, and the two boys were lying there wide awake, tears streaming silently down their cheeks, pillows wet with tears. But they hadn't made a sound. And it turns out that in other places where they had been placed, they had been beaten horribly for crying at night. And they were so damaged. They were damaged emotionally and intellectually and in and their development. It took two years of nurture and tender love for those babies to, uh, to be restored to where they should be um, emotionally and developmentally. It's a simple fact, isn't it, that, that babies and children must have love in order to grow to healthy maturity. And in order to grow to healthy spiritual maturity... We must have the love of Christ. And many Christians are uh, deprived of the love of Christ, not because God is not a loving Father, because He's a perfect Father with perfect love. But they're spiritually love-deprived because they're running from God. They're running from Him, and they're depriving themselves of the means of grace that God uses to shower His love upon us. They're not reading Scripture. They're not not into the Word of God. They're sporadic in church attendance. They're not doing life together with other believers, and because of that, their spiritual maturity is stunted. Now Paul finishes here, in verses 20 and 21, with this incredible benediction. It's incredible blessing. Let's look at it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This benediction in verses 20 and 21, 
tells us about the reason for confidence in prayer and the purpose of prayer. First of all, the reason for our confidence in prayer. We see it in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, than all that we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us. I want to encourage you in your devotional time this week to meditate on verse 20. And just think about what God might do in you and through you. And then double it or triple it. And even when you do that, you won't even have begun to comprehend what God could do. Because he can do greater than all we can ask or imagine. That's the reason for our confidence as we pray. And then the purpose of our prayer is what? The glory of God. Can you pray for good things with bad motives? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this is a great prayer for spiritual maturity, but we don't even pray for spiritual maturity as an end in and of itself. We pray for spiritual maturity that God might be glorified. The ultimate motive and desire in every prayer should be the glory of God. I mean, if you can't ask for something according to the glory of God, then you probably shouldn't be asking for it. Because that's the point of every prayer, is that God would be glorified. Dr. D.A. Carson says this, Has God become so central to all our thoughts and pursuits, and thus to our praying, that we cannot easily imagine asking for anything without consciously longing that the answer bring glory to God. Father, we do desire that. We pray that we would become more and more centered on your glory, that the object of our lives, indeed the object of every prayer, would be your honor, your fame, your glory. And so, Father, we, we yearn for greater amounts of your power. Lord, we pray for holiness. We pray for spiritual maturity, not as an end in and of itself, but so that you would be more glorified through our lives. Lord, we yearn to reflect more of who you are, your beauty, your glory. As we just continue to pray, perhaps you're here today and you came in uncertain about what a relationship with God is all about. And if that's the case, then you're in the right place. You're not here by accident. And I want to tell you, according to all the authority of God's Word, that He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His Son, who was without sin, who took your sins and my sins upon Himself on the cross, paid the penalty, rose from the dead, so that we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. Our part, your part, my part, is to turn to Jesus and trust Him. 
trust in Him alone, in His finished work. It's about Jesus, what He's done, His love, His work. Would you turn to Christ and trust Him today? Jesus tells us that when we do that, we're to acknowledge Him publicly before others. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. And if the cry of your heart is to know Him, to give your life to Him, in just a moment, as others stand, I want to invite you to slip out. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just share with me the decision that you're making and what God's doing in your life today. We want to rejoice with you and help you begin your journey as a believer. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about seeking membership in our church family, uh, we would love to celebrate that today as well. There's a need in your life, need for prayer. You're invited to come. So Heavenly Father, we give you now this time of invitation. We pray that you would work in hearts and lives for your glory's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.